0: Hello and welcome to the Pump Court Family Law Podcast brought to you by Pump Court Chambers. My name is Tara Lyons and every week we look at relevant issues concerning family law. Today on the podcast we're going to be looking at issues that arise when dealing with financial remedies cases involving farms. And I'm delighted to be joined by Jack Rundle from Pump Court Chambers and Anthony Field, who's a RICS registered valuer and rural practice chartered surveyor. Jack is one of the junior stars of Pump Court Chambers, specialising in financial remedies and children act cases and who has a particular interest in farming cases, he tells me after having grown up on a farm himself. He's described as a superstar at the Financial Remedies Bar and appeared in well known cases such as Valupalai and Valupalai. Anthony Field is a director of the BTF Partnership, who are land and property experts, and he has vast experience of advising in agricultural valuations and disputes. Jack and Anthony, hello, welcome.
1: Hello, good morning. Good morning.
0: Thank you both for coming on uh, the podcast. I've been very excited to hear more about farming cases. Jack, if I can start with you, a farming brief lands on your desk. What are the particular issues to think about when you're first instructed?
1: I I think Tara, there are probably three very important first steps. Um, First of all, you've got to try and understand the farm, you know, at, at its most basic level. What type of farm is it? Is it arable? Is it dairy? Is it mixed? Has mm-hmm. it diversified into any other areas, you know, shops, holiday lets, etc. Um, part of that is trying to understand the history of, of how it comes into its present state. Yes. As I suppose with any case but probably even more so, the chronology uh, is particularly important because it's not uncommon for different parcels of land to have been acquired yeah. by different people at different times yeah. and obviously there's a relevance there to arguments about what is matrimonial and what isn't uh, and also for different parts of the business to have been set up by different people at different times. Um, With all of this I think a site visit if you can do it is is definitely beneficial. Yes. Um, Secondly having kind of established the basics of of what the farm is you you need to look at what the ownership structure is you know is is the are the parties the sole owners or is, is the husband a sole owner is the farm held Um, between shareholders or directors? Is it in trust? And quite often here, I think the farm solicitors or accountants can help.
0: Uh, Um, And just, sorry, pausing there, Jack, this is why farming cases can become so document heavy, isn't Mm. it? Because it's, it's a historical um, nature of them so often and the ownership and transfers etc that that really becomes so important
1: yes and and I, I think the the third issue is there's often a sort of um, a, a, a disconnect if you like between the the legal reality of yeah. who owns what and the actual reality on the ground where mm-hmm. you know the family might have taken legal advice and set up the ownership of the the farm in a certain way to be tax efficient but actually on the ground there Mm. might be a particular person making day-to-day decisions you know a sort of um patriarchal figure who may actually for tax reasons have divested himself of legal control of the farm but if you're looking at trying to settle the case before a a final hearing there may be a certain person you absolutely need on side with any settlement to have any chance of um or joined uh, of, of making an offer and of course that's all linked to questions of who you might have to join um, if proceedings begin mm. um, against all of that background what's absolutely essential in, in a farming case perhaps more than any other is to identify with the other side at, at a really early stage if you can who your single joint expert might be mm. um, and what issues he or she is going to need to report on uh, and obviously having the right specialist advice from Um, uh, an expert who is um, frequently instructed in in farming cases and and knows um, the agricultural issues is absolutely essential so I'm absolutely delighted we've got Anthony to uh, tell us more about that.
0: Well Anthony that that brings us on very nicely um, to you Um, and Jack's spoken about getting an expert like you involved at an early stage how early in the process do you like to be involved?
2: I mean I think in short as early as possible um, the the aim from our perspective is to perhaps is to provide some clarity Mm. on the issues that are being thrown up um, and enable a, a good quality letter of instruction to be put together so you know as early as, as, as early as we can be involved, as early as we can be brought in, it makes a real difference.
0: And just speaking about um, obviously the, the the letter of instruction which prompts your involvement, ha- have you got any advice or tips for our listeners who are going to be instructing you and others like you as to what needs to go into? That letter of instruction.
2: I mean, I think before we before we even get to the stage of the letter of instruction, the the important thing is to make sure that we're able to give good guidance in terms of the quotation that we need to put together. I think, and in and in that regard, it's very much a case of making sure that we've got similar as you know a simplified version of the um, of the information that Jack was talking mm-hmm. about in terms of a plan of the you know, a plan of the farm showing what we're, what we're talking about. Yes. And perhaps a pricey on a couple of sides of A4 that, you know, give us the headline uh, characteristics of the, of the farm that we're looking at. Yes. Um, it is, yeah, we've had um, keen law firms historically sending us lever arch files full of land registry documentation, but, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily need that at that early, at that early stage. Um, so it's it's an, that that allows us to put together you know as good a quality quote as we can. Um, but in terms of the letter of instruction, what is really really helpful in that provision of initial information is if we can understand what questions specifically both sides are wanting us to address. Um, it doesn't necessarily require both sides to have reached agreement on no. certain areas, um, but it is incredibly useful um if we if if the letter can highlight or if we can discuss perhaps and you know in light of a draft letter of instruction um what points you know what areas need clarifying and then we can look at valuing in different alternatives
0: yeah and so with that um not getting into a he said she said type letter of instruction but um perhaps saying well it's the husband's case that you know um they they need to maximize uh the the value of the farm and so uh if we're looking at any liquidity uh we we want to uh keep it to i don't know uh, a a limited value and the wife saying you know we might want to look at liquidity up to one million and you do give an either or uh
2: answer i think that's exactly right i i think it is if there's, no, there's no requirement for us to, uh, for the sides to, to necessarily agree on, on an awful lot other than the absolute basic. But I think as long as each side is aware of, of their position, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with asking us to value an alternative. There's nothing wrong with asking us as the single joint expert for guidance um, and to, to highlight. I mean, something that comes up um, from time to time is the occupation of cottages and, and things like that. and. It's, it's perfectly possible that um, the sides don't agree on the basis of occupation, whether vacant possession can be obtained or whether it's subject to a long-term tenancy. But we can very easily value into alternatives. Yes. The, you know, the answer appears in our valuation report, and then what we can do is we can concentrate on getting our report back in a timely fashion and enable the sides to see it. The other, the other thing is that it is perfectly possible um, for the parties to become... Entrenched in um, considering the impact on value of various elements or improvements, and who paid for what. Mm. Um, and I think this is why it's useful at an early stage for us to understand what the questions are, because what we want to avoid is going off on a um, on a tangent and addressing a significant number of queries that actually don't have an impact on. Um, on the, on the value itself. So okay. what I would say is that if we as a valuer can see a draft letter of instruction, if we can understand the questions that you would like answering, yes.
0: um,
2: then we can make sure that it's those questions that are in our letter and we're not taken down an avenue of, um, of answering questions that actually don't help the process.
0: Yes. And in terms of So so you've got the letter of instruction, you go off for your valuation inspection. Is there anything that the parties can do uh, in terms of preparation that can really assist you?
2: I think the first thing that everyone needs to bear in mind is how this how the inspection is going to be conducted. um, Who is going to accompany the valuer as they go round? These are and certainly can be quite complex properties. And there are quite a number of questions that can arise during the Mm -hmm. inspection and immediately afterwards. Um, What I think we want to avoid is getting into a situation whereby the inspection is carried out in a complete vacuum.
1: um,
2: And then written questions have to be raised. Um, There are certain... I mean, I have done inspections where I've been accompanied by husband and wife, um, which has been... Successful in some circumstances and frankly less successful in others. Yes. Um, I've done, I've carried out inspections where I have been completely alone, which I have to say is quite difficult.
0: Yes. Um,
2: yeah. and, but, and I've also done it whereby a, a friend or an associate of the parties is accompanied.
0: Yeah. And that's but probably what, not as helpful, is it? Unless well, you know about the farm. It's, it's,
2: they don't, they don't know anything about it. What I, I appreciate is a value that there's a need to control the amount of information and mm. the discussions that take place. What, in my experience, works quite well, and very often there'll be one of the parties that knows much more about the, the farm than the other, But what does work quite well is perhaps to allow an inspection to be taken place, which is largely Um, on an arm's length basis with no significant queries being asked, other than sort of, you know, where's the boundary over there or whatever else. But actually to then have a documented, almost question and answer session with the husband or wife at the end of my visit, where I can make specific or raise specific queries, note down specific answers, and then provide that, that document to both sets of solicitors so that they can see the questions that were raised, make sure that they're comfortable with the answers. Um, right. If there's something that they dispute or that is challenged, then that can be raised. But equally, what we want to aim for is to carry out an effective inspection and provide good quality, accurate advice as quickly as possible to enable everyone to move forwards.
0: Yeah. And when we received the report from you, uh, Anthony. Um, sometimes these reports, uh, as far as I'm concerned anyway, include lots of references that are particular to agricultural land and uh, some, some features which are, um, are really uh, those of rural land valuations. And I think it would really help our listeners to just give us a little bit of an explanation. Uh, as to some of those common features. So for example, could you tell us a little bit about agricultural ties?
2: Sure, Um, I mean there are a number of things that are largely unique to agricultural properties and have an impact on values. Uh, Agricultural ties or what we also refer to as an agricultural occupancy condition is, is a planning restriction that is um, placed on a residential property um, and it's it's a result of an argument being put forward by the farmer that they require an additional dwelling to house an agricultural worker. So that property is granted planning consent by the local planning authority, but subject to a planning condition that it has to be occupied solely or mainly by a farmer. The condition itself can be imposed as a a planning condition, or it can be imposed by a Section 106 agreement. When it's imposed by a Section 106 agreement, very often, although not always, there is also a restriction that ties the land to the residential property, and prevents parcels of land from being sold off. So this can have quite a This can have quite a significant impact, particularly when you're trying to find a resolution or to sell off bits of of land to raise money to deal with a settlement. It is possible to obtain consent from the planning authority that you can remove bits of land. But their aim and the purpose is to ensure that it stays a viable agricultural unit. So that is probably something that that needs to be borne in mind and does come up during our valuation process from time to time.
0: And how, is it, how easy is it to rem- remove agricultural ties and what's the process? So if, if for instance, the wife wants to extract a, a large sum of cash to, to meet her housing needs, but there's an agricultural tie, um, you know, what steps can she take or ask for to, to try and overcome that tie?
2: It can be very, very difficult to remove them, particularly where they've been complied with. I mean, there is, it's, it can be very straightforward if you've had, if it's been rented out to someone who is not employed in agriculture in, in breach of the planning condition, then it's, it's a relatively straightforward process. The, if the property is occupied by a complying occupier, it can be incredibly difficult. Um, and so I think that, and it's and very very time consuming. So it's very much a case with the agricultural ties that these need to be looked at as something that is in existence, yeah. and the the restrictions imposed need to be need to be respected in evaluation context. Um, there, there. I mean, there are a number of other areas of agricultural law that mm. are unique to this type of property. Um, other areas that that you guys might want to consider. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: when you're um when you're looking at these is and particularly looking at the background to start with is the um whether there's any tenancies and obviously some of your listeners will be aware that the agricultural um tenancy law changed significantly in 1995 and prior to that it was possible to occupy or to obtain um, a, an occupancy of an agricultural property on a lifetime or a 3 generation basis. Post-1995 those rights were, um, were lost to tenants but there are still farm business tenancies that can impose, um, can impose other restrictions. Um, another area of, of law that is relatively unique to agricultural property is in relation to residential properties and the yes. occupancies of those. Um, where depending on the date of occupation and the employment status of the occupier in certain circumstances occupiers can obtain security of tenure, um, rent protection and so in those situations it is worthwhile understanding the date that let residential properties or residential properties occupied by third parties were occupied, what the basis of the current occupation is um, and you know, in discussions where we can fill in any additional details as we go through the process.
0: And are these um, issues that we need to raise with you in our letter of instruction, or are these things that you pick up on and then advise on?
2: I think some and some. So if what, what, what we would like prior to a letter of instruction is to have the brief pricey of the farm. Yeah. And this might come up. For example, that there's a cottage that is occupied by mum and dad or there's an area of land which has been farmed by a next door farmer for the last X, Y or Z number of years. And as long as we've got, we don't need massive detail. But if we've got an element of that information, then we can raise these queries and and highlight where further investigations are required. And and that can be put in place swiftly.
0: And what about other areas of the valuation? For example, the livestock. You know, do do, I I would imagine you'd need a a particular instruction to value the livestock. Is there anything that solicitors need to be thinking about when instructing you on that issue? Um, I know. I know that uh, that you've mentioned before to me issues of
2: timing? I think timing is quite key. We, we value agricultural machinery. We value livestock. And timing is absolutely everything, um, particularly, particularly in terms of breeding livestock, whereby in the springtime, you know, suddenly a flock of sheep um, has had its, has, has given birth to its offspring. And yes. suddenly there's a significant increase in, uh, in the number of livestock and in the value of livestock that are, that are being considered. So my suggestion would be that careful thought needs to be given to to timings of of valuation. Um, And and if necessary, we can always provide advice on it and then update closer to to the time, providing we've got an accurate list of livestock.
0: That is really helpful. And finally, Anthony, what about issues of liquidity? Because often that's the million-dollar question, isn't it, with a farming case. uh, what pointers or, or tips do you have when, when considering liquidity for our listeners?
2: I think the general perception is that a farm is, is, a, is an illiquid asset. But I don't think that's, strictly speaking, true. There are elements of it that are very illiquid, but there are also elements that very often can be very readily saleable, often at a premium. And I think that it's, it's an ability to find out what those areas are that can make finding a resolution much easier.
0: What do they tend to be, the, the, the elements you've spoken about that are easily sell off, saleable, what, what do they tend to be?
2: So that can take the form of offline parcels of land, land and buildings, certain elements that are less important to the main trading business than others, so elements where there can be a, um, a planning uplift um, and or An ability to sell with hope value that there might be a planning uplift. Farms very often are dissected by roads and tracks and have offline yards and and buildings and very often where a farm must be, or if if a farm needs to be divided, it's very helpful from the perspective of fulfilling our instructions. If we've got an indication as to how things might progress then we've got an ability to advise either on is it possible to identify land to the value of or equally is it possible to advise on how wise or otherwise it might be to separate the area of land edged purple on the on a plan our aim our aim where these sorts of discussions are ongoing is to be as helpful as possible to the parties and it needs to be respected that very often they will know their farms better than anyone mm. they may have an idea but What we can do is we can put some flesh on that skeleton, perhaps Mm. in terms of rights of way, in terms of other angles, or perhaps throw up some alternatives that, Mm. that will enable a resolution to be reached more easily.
0: Yeah. So you wouldn't mind, for instance, direct questions like, you know, can you identify the parcels that should be sold off? And also, I think what you're saying is, you know, can you also uh, advise or provide some sort of commentary on how to raise a fixed sum of money?
2: Certainly, we can do, we can do, either, we can do either or and are very happy okay. during that process to, to do that. The, the one thing that I would try and avoid is is the slightly general question which I have been asked previously which was could I ad- identify any parcels of land that could be sold off, which the answer is yes but do you mean big parcels small parcels mm. or what sort of what are we trying to achieve yeah but i think if if someone can be a little bit more specific or if they could advise on you know we would like evaluation or suggestion of prudent lotting something like that then we can we can provide guidance even if it's in the form of just a, a straightforward commentary um as, as much information or as much of an indication is is very helpful um, yeah, our responsibility is to, to all parties to help them resolve the, the situation.
0: Anthony, thank you. That has been illuminating. Jack, I'll move on to you now, if I may. And um, I'd like to ask you about what happens when we get to proceedings. What issues are, are at the forefront of your mind uh, when we're in court? Certainly.
1: I, I think the two issues that can often dominate uh, a farming case are liquidity and uh, non-matrimonial property. Just before we go on to that, there's one recent case on, on valuations which it might be helpful to consider uh, and that's FRB and DCA which is a 2020 case, it's Mr Justice Cohen who decided it. It, it wasn't a farming case but it concerned the valuation of a, farming, uh, sorry, of a family business and uh, there are arguments about what discount to apply to a husband's minority shareholding, uh, and in fact, Mr. Justice Cohen declined to attach uh, any discount to the uh, minority shareholding on the basis that the history showed that uh, monies were transferred between family members at the drop of a hat, and members of the family came into and out of companies and trusts whenever it was advised useful. Um, so. That might be a very relevant case to bear in mind um, when looking at the valuation of a family farm. Um, but, but back to your, your question, Tara. Yeah. Um, those two issues and, and starting with liquidity, um, it, it's almost the most difficult decision of all in a farming case in terms of formulating an offer uh, to work out whether. Uh, your offer has the result or is predicated on the basis of a farm being sold, Mm. um, or or whether you can realistically hope to argue that the amount that you're seeking or offering um, can be raised um, by uh, extracting money from the farm. Um, There are lots of examples in, in case law of the courts being willing to really stretch things to avoid the sale of a farm. Yes. Uh, PMP is a Mr. Justice Mumby case. Uh, he clearly, on reading the judgment, was very reluctant indeed to sell the farm. Uh, and in the end, the wife received about 25% of the total assets, uh, despite uh, it was acknowledged by all parties uh, having made a full uh, contribution to the family, but also to the farm. How
0: did he justify um, that?
1: Uh, on the basis, really, that it was the maximum amount that could be taken from the farm that that there were other considerations about the kind of inherited nature of the assets but effectively um one can see that the court had assessed the wife's needs um perhaps rather more conservatively than it might otherwise have done to justify the farm not being sold because it was the family's income producing asset, and Um. because fairness which i suppose is the holy grail for which we are all Yes. Searching in, in theory, at least fairness um, came into play, and it, it was a, an asset that had been handed down from many generations, yeah. and really was the sort of husband's life. Um, but of course, in in some ways, a, a farm is no different from from any other family company. And on the one hand, that there's an obvious reluctance to kind of um, sell the goose that lays the golden egg. But on the other hand, there are um, plenty of examples of, of cases where the goose has been sent to market. Yeah, um, yeah. So you can compare P&P to uh, Y&Y, which is a, a, another um, farming case where the judge accepted that a, a consequence of the order that had been made was quite possibly um, that things would have to be sold. And really the difference on, on the judgments, apart from a, a bit of luck on, on either party's side, um, is simply the... Uh, assessment of the wife's needs and and, uh, the uh, ability of the farm to raise that lump sum. So that that all comes back really to the um, point that I think Anthony was making, which is you you need to have very clear evidence and and look into all possible realistic avenues of um, raising money, um, uh, ideally before you begin proceedings. The other issue we identified, of course, was non-matrimonial property. Yes. Um, but the fact that a farm is often inherited can, of course, be very important in a case where there's technically more assets than are required to meet needs. Um, I mean, that being said, uh, in many cases, it's irrelevant because the court's process is going to begin and end with needs. And obviously, white and white's the case that pretty much first makes the point that in, in most cases Um, factors of non-matrimonial property can be expected to carry little weight. White and White was a farming case, I think dealt with by these chambers at first instance, Um, incidentally. But of course, set against that, there's plenty of other cases where, as I said, needs are being um, assessed quite conservatively. It's not always um, straightforward identifying what is and isn't non-matrimonial in a farming case, and that, that often takes up a lot of time. court proceedings and as we said land might have been acquired at different times during the marriage. Um, Passive growth is a massive factor so I I did a case fairly recently where um, the parties have worked together um, running the farm for many many years so uh, there was an argument about mingling there but in every single year that they had been married the farm lost money Um, so in a way that contribution produced nothing but because the underlying value of the land had been going up so much that more than wiped out what the farm was actually losing and during the course of the marriage the the party's kind of net worth on an an asset sheet basis uh, had gone up hugely so so do you quantify that as a matrimonial asset because it happened during the marriage You, you probably do
0: yeah is that what they did in your case
1: uh, well, we settled, but I, I think that's we anticipated um, that, nice. that, that that passive growth would be regarded as a matrimonial uh, it's,
0: it's very difficult as well, not just, not just when um, there is this element of inheritance. And as you say, it's, you know, the big issue becomes mingling uh, when the, the son is working on the farm and, you know, the wife inevitably helps out. Um, but but there are also serious issues when they the family the generations of the family continue to own it, but it's not clear in sort of what proportions and there are arguments of you know how the beneficial interests fall and the intentions and it can become hugely costly to dispute these issues.
1: Yes, I mean and and you um, risk having sort of multi multiple parties dragged yeah. into. Uh, a case and and you you risk really the legal reality not matching the kind of reality um on the ground which is hugely complicated which is probably what leads to such a sort of widespread uh of different results in the case law so it, it's um it's certainly the case perhaps more than 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 any other case that uh, trying to find a way to settle um outside of proceedings or at least before a final hearing is, is really crucial if you can.
0: And that, that's been really helpful Jack. What about tips to bear in mind before issuing?
1: I think probably you've really got to get all your ducks in a row. I, I can't come up with a better farming pun. Uh, for <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to, um, to work in doing your Chickens, but I, I haven't managed it. Um, <laughs> but it, I, I guess, it, for instance, if you're acting for the party that, that doesn't want to sell the farm, um, you, you've really got to explore every avenue of extracting liquidity. And uh, Anthony's given us some, some very helpful tips uh, about things that he might look at. Uh, I, I guess it, it may pay as well to consider from a Sort of accounting perspective, uh, whether y- you can get good evidence about what the business can take on in terms of extra debt. D and D is a case of Mr Justice Charles, where he was very critical of a husband in a farming case for not providing uh, enough information, and he um, says in the judgment that he wanted detailed forecasts of liquidity. He'd wanted to see uh, evidence of the farm approaching. Commercial lenders and specialist lenders yes, he wanted to see communications between the company and the bank. He wanted to see business plans and forecasts. And um, the upshot was, although the, wife, the the farm wasn't sold, the wife's capital claims were uh, left open. Um, so that there's an example of of just the kind of paper trail that you need really to convince um, the court that that keeping the farm uh, is a viable option. Uh, conversely, I, I guess if you're acting for the other party, y- you also want to have a very good uh, idea of what's the maximum amount the farm can extract. And it's, it's probably harder acting for the other party because you don't necessarily have access to the information. But if you can sort of work collaboratively with the other side, that's helpful because uh, if, if you're acting for, for, let's say, the wife, if you can pitch an offer that uh, assesses needs quite conservatively, but also represents kind of the maximum that the farm can, can raise without being sold. Then that's likely to be quite attractive, I think. But yeah,
0: I mean, the I problem guess, the problem with that is you do you know you need to have the information first before you're able to pitch the offer. But then you want to have the question to the expert.
1: You do yeah. you,
0: you know. So it's a sort of chicken and egg scenario. To use another pun.
1: That's, an, that's a great one. Um, I, I suppose it, it's also um, sometimes helpful to consider a shadow expert if you're, particularly if you're acting for um, the wife, so that you know exactly what questions to put to the single joint expert. Um, and it really, if, if you can work collaboratively with the other side, so much the better, because it's, it's probably the case that the farm has its own solicitors, its own accountants. Yeah. Um, and if they can work with the other party's team to help them understand exactly what shape the business is in and and what it can and can't do to raise money then you're much more likely to achieve a settlement and of course that is in both parties interests because um the the other party will not know for sure that if it goes to court the judge isn't just going to say well look this is a uh, a a case where uh, i think uh, equality of outcome is important if uh, and i don't see any other way to achieve that other than than splitting things down the middle and if that means a sale so be it. So it is often in everyone's interest to work together.
0: Jack thank you, I think that's probably all we've got time for today. Anthony, Jack thank you so much for your time today, it has been so informative and frankly I wish we'd had this conversation before I had uh, dealt with any of my farming cases, it's been brilliant. Please tune in next week uh, to our podcast where I'll be joined by Caroline Bayliss from Excalibur Actuaries talking to me about ring fencing after w As ever, if anyone has any further ideas on topic areas, Mark and I would love to hear from you and you can find our email addresses on the Pump Court website www.pumpcourtchambers.com. Episodes are available to download or stream on iTunes, Spotify, Google and the Chamber's website.